listening to the Fish on Ted podcast with your host, Ted Johnson. This is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. If you look back at your calendar for those that uh, have time lapsed ahead and are looking back and saying, when was this recorded? Well, this was uh, during the uh, Christmas season of 2022. Um, We are on the 20th of December. And I've got a really special guest. I'm looking forward to this conversation because this should be a lot of fun. Um, you know, with all the, the things that are going on during the season, I think we all um, are blessed in, in being involved in an industry that, um, you know, is, is growing and evolving. And it, and it seems that things are really starting to come back in the fishing world. And that's really exciting to me. Looking forward to seeing what's going to happen in the 2023 season, um, not only here in the Pacific Northwest, but throughout the uh, continental United States and North America. Um, there's lots of legislation going on and, and a lot of debates going on that uh, will be very, very important to participate in if you're part of this industry in 2023. So um, without further ado, I'm going to introduce Terry Evers. And Terry, I'll, I'll read his bio, has lived most of his life in Oregon's Willamette Valley and has spent the past 33 years in various roles in elementary education. His passion for spending time on the water has led him to the commercial fishing industry, the U.S. Coast Guard, and many miles of navigating fresh and salt water by kayak. When he's not working with elementary age children or in the water, he enjoys hiking, biking, cooking, and grilling. He'd be a perfect uh, um, guy to hang out with because I like eating, and he enjoys the, the Portland Trailblazers, the the professional basketball team, and most recently being a grandparent. Terry's been married to his wonderful wife, Deanne, for 35 years and has two daughters, Kelsey and Mackenzie, who are amazing young women. Uh, So uh, without stealing much more of your thunder, Terry, are you there? I am there. I'm here, I should say, and uh, thank you. Well, Well, my pleasure. I, too in just recent years have become a grandfather and and what a great role that is to play wouldn't you agree i totally agree in fact uh, my granddaughter was over today and so we were uh, filling our morning with uh hot wheels reading uh building blocks painting drawing uh <laughs> you name it uh, we got through it this morning in four hours uh there's even more than that so uh, it was a wow. busy morning, and it's just been a lot of fun watching her grow and learn, and uh, every day is just a treat. Yeah. How old is she, Terry? She's a year and a half now, maybe a little older than that. Oh, a year and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we started a couple of years before you. I have uh, my my daughter is uh, one of the, always one of the big family. So uh, she, um, uh, about four years ago, gave birth to two twin girls. So I got two twin granddaughters that are now four years old. And shortly after that, our grandson was born and he's now two. And she has another one on the way that's doing about three to four weeks. And so uh, um, it's just been a a real concentration of hers to produce this big family and and so it's been a lot of fun stepping into that role as the grandparent and uh, kind of kind of exhausting at times but I wouldn't trade anything for it 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it is. It does get tiring every once in a while, <laughs> but it's a good tired. And uh, uh, yeah, we have another one on coming in late April, I believe, is the due date. So yeah, well, it's no no rest for the weary. We got a lot of fun times ahead. <laughs> so true. Well, congratulations. Well, Terry, Terry uh, Terry's written a book. And this book is really interesting. It's called uh, 15 Seasons. And uh, Terry, if you don't mind, I'm going to share with um, the audience kind of the intro to the book um, uh, that uh, is published on Amazon. You can buy it on Amazon uh, after you uh, listen to the interview here. Um, it's a really good read and it's it's uh, available, I think, in paperback, is it not? Um, That's right. And yeah, paperback. Yeah, and so it goes on and says, um, um, a school book textbook salesman buys a commercial salmon dory boat and takes his 13-year-old son out in the cold Pacific waters of the Oregon coast for an entire summer. What could possibly go wrong? Take a voyage with Bruce and his son, Terry, i.e. Terry on the interview today, as they begin their first season with harrowing uh, gear tangles, poor decision-making, repulsive fishing gear, and a salmon run that fell way below expectation. As they find their way to become successful fishermen on their 50, uh, on the 15th season, uh, they discovered that there is more in the industry than just fishing. The people, the culture, and many adventures capture their hearts, all while father and son crave indelible bonds through an imaginable experience. Did I say that right? Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> Very good. So, so in a nutshell, you've done something really, really unique in the fishing world in that you were part of the commercial fishing dory fleet out of Oregon for a number of years, correct? Right, yeah. Uh, very, so, very yeah, good. that was. Now, uh, oh yeah, so that yeah, that was a, a coastwide fleet and concentrated out of Pacific City, that uh -huh. uh, was a real popular fleet. But there were other ports that had pretty big fleets too at the time, and guys traveling up and down the coast as well. And so uh, right, uh, yeah, there was there were a lot of people involved in the fishery at that time. I'll, I'll be done. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm really curious. I mean, you started in the, in that business as a, as a 13 year old and your father, Bruce, I believe, uh, was the one, uh, that, that, uh, was your partner and kind of bankrolled everything. Was this a, a dream of your father's or did you guys kind of back into this in a way? Well, you know, he grew up, fishing he's in central oregon and it's in the book i gave a little background of that but you know he grew up over in bend and you know was going up to the high lakes before they were very popular even and you know hosmer and elk lake and sparks and all those and so he fished there the deschutes and uh so he's a good fisherman and he fished uh, the coastal rivers for steelhead and i think he had a drift boat for a couple of years with the neighbor before all the dory stuff and uh so he's a good fisherman uh, sport fisherman and I think he uh, when he was over doing the Nestucca a lot he would go over to Pacific City and he knew a few people that Dory fished and you know before we got into it it, was, it wasn't on my radar at all that we he was even interested and 
you know, he had, uh, when we were out fishing, had driven over there a couple times, showed me the boats and pointed them out over in the uh-huh. port and things like that, trips. And so, you know, this was on his radar. And I asked my mom, you know, and she kind of vaguely thought, you know, yeah, you mentioned it. But uh, so it was a dream of his uh, but to get a boat like that. I never knew if it was going to happen, but it fit in with his schedule. He was a school textbook salesman. And at least back then, in that job, you know, he was a school teacher before that, but as a school textbook salesman, he had some time off in the summer too. And so it fit right. and some things came together to pursue a boat. Wow. That's, that's, that's cool. Now, now this question kind of fits into this conversation that we're, we're having. Um, there's probably a lot of people online that really don't know what a dory boat is, and in particular, what a, a commercial dory boat looks like. Can you kind of explain the differences between a dory and, let's just say, you know, a, you know, another type of, uh, of commercial fishing boat? Really, the big thing with a dory is it's got a flat bottom that you can, uh, uh, you know, launch and uh, be and uh, land on the beach. And, you know, they originate as double-end dories uh, over in, you know, New England. And and actually, they used to uh, lower those off and stack those on old fishing boats, like out of of Massachusetts ports. And and so they would actually be lowered down. They might be, you know, 14-foot boats that they would send Mm -hmm. out and then, you know, blast the foghorn and all that have them row back and hopefully everybody came back. I mean, I've read some books about that that uh, were pretty harrowing, but uh, so it was a double inversion from New England that eventually made its way over here and over to Pacific City. And a lot of those guys used uh-huh. to row out and there were no motors or anything like that. And they used to, you know, row out through the surf and double-ended boats. And then uh, they became modified with a square stern with, you know, and, uh, and they were powered. And so the dories now have a square stern rather than double-ended mainly. And there's some old nostalgic ones still. But uh, And so they'll either have an engine well or, you know, they'll have an inboard engine on it. And so anyway, it became a powered dory and real specific to the West Coast. And, you know, the big thing was the flat bottoms to go on and off the beach. But that, you know, kind of migrated to uh, uh, other ports and stuff too. So, you know, uh, you wouldn't see them just always going off the beach back then. You know, I'm, people still take them out of other ports besides Pacific City, but uh, uh, that's really where uh, the birthplace of the West Coast story started. Now, I know there are some down in Newport Beach, California that are similar. Uh, visited that mm-hmm. one time, and there's a real small place that's, you know, they sell their catch as, as a market, you know, at some point when they come in late morning or afternoon and it's a whole different deal but a uh, similar type of boat but anyway right. that's what a dory is really is uh uh the only difference is with uh, rod and reel you'd have for sport fishing and then commercially we'd have like out you know kind of an outrigger with trolling pole wooden poles to spread the gear and um it's a little mm-hmm. complicated to describe my book has a diagram that i made but uh makes it a little clearer but anyway you're running more more lines you know you're running up to anywhere from you know probably a dozen to 40 
line, you know, actually individual spreads of line, at least back in the day when we were coho fishing and answer next fishing right. at the same time. Yeah. I'll, I'll so, yeah. Be that's, yeah. So it sounds like it's much like a drift boat. I mean, if you if you've got a flat bottom to it, um, and, and I I have some experience with with drift boats, and those things float like a cork. But how how does it handle the seas when you're when you're out in the swells and that sort of thing? Do is there more control or less control? Do you think? Uh, well, you know the downside of a dory is if you got a you know a chop, you know, like if you have you know a northwest wind that's blowing pretty good, and if you're heading out or something like that, you you know, you do slap, but it doesn't really cut through like a, a V-hold boat. That would be the downside. Right. You know, a V-hold right. boat, you can't land that on the beach if you want to. Um, no. Yeah. There's some, they can be a little, the bottom can kind of be a little slippery when you used to have all that gear out, you know, tend to want to pull or slide around a little bit sometimes. But uh, but no, they're very seaworthy boats, uh, very stable boats. And... Uh, so, you know, always felt safe in that boat, you know, 22 foot boat, uh, Dory. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so 22 by what, eight or 10 feet? Yeah, I think so. I, I remember what the, what the beam of that was. Um, yeah, yeah, thereabouts. Yeah. But wider than a drift boat. Um, um, yeah. So uh, for a 13 year old, when you first went, on that first trip with your dad uh, going out commercially, was did you have any apprehensions or were you afraid or were you just pumped up that, uh, hey, I'm doing something pretty cool here? Excited, you know, we uh, had really hardly have been out in it other than the bay when we bought this boat, you know, and uh, uh -huh. we, we did a quick trip with the former owner out to the buoys or there just to kind of put the, just to see how, do anything with the boat, you know, and put the gear down and uh, just kind of did a test run for an hour or so. But other than that, uh, we didn't really know much. So, you know, we went out the first time and I kind of detail this in the book and, and ran out there for, it seemed like forever. We didn't know where we were. We didn't have, there's no things, there were no GPSs. We had it. And there were Lorands back then, which is the precursor of GPS, but we didn't have one. So we had a compass and a depth finder at the at the time, and we just followed a couple guys out who probably didn't know too much more than us, and so, uh, and then we lost them. That, that there was just so many boats back then that you know we going out just at the break of day and lost them, and yeah, we were out there, and we got into a big tangle. I I described that in one of the first chapters, and. Uh, it was my fault. <laughs> I was just clueless. And uh, we got a few fish on, and I proceeded to help us tangle all the gear. Uh, so that was our baptism. Yeah. And, uh, learned about tangles and not bringing enough food uh, out there. Ooh. And just, uh, you know, the epic uh, baptism into the industry. And, yeah, that first yeah. year wasn't too good. Four fishing seasons. And, uh, you know, even though my dad knew a lot about rod and reel fishing, he could catch steelhead all the time in the rivers and salmon and stuff, but it was a whole different deal with trolling. Oh, I'll bet. Uh, I'll bet. So how, how long would you be out 
uh, uh, fishing in a, in a normal day. Mm, yeah, probably depending on the fishing and weather and all that. But you know, eight to twelve hours is, was not uncommon. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And and what would what would have uh, been a good haul of fish for a day back then? Well, you know, I mean, um, you know, silvers. I mean, it's great. You know, I mean, if you could get. Oh, a handful, you know, just on, if we we're just talking kind of average going out, you know, mm -hmm. if you get a handful of some 20 something silvers, that would, you know, be a decent payday. You know, I mean, there were many days of more than that. And there were some days, a few days we came in with nothing or one fish or, you know, things sure. like that, you know, when silvers that first year, it was just the silver fishing was really bad uh, uh -huh. comparatively to the previous year which was really good in 76 mm -hmm. so and we heard that but uh so you know i mean there were some days you hardly paid for the gas or didn't and other times you know you did, did quite well and so and we progressively got a lot better at it and did very well uh -huh. actually later. that must have been fun kind of growing up in the industry with your dad i i would imagine that you you had some trying times and you've had some, uh, some times when, uh, you know, you're coming back with a full boat and you guys are so excited, but, but doing that with your dad must've been a lot of fun. It really was, you know, and we just, you know, I mean, you develop a really strong bond with your dad over the years and things and his, his life changes, you know, you have different experiences and, uh, you know, for most of the time we got along great. Uh, we really were, it was almost like we didn't we could have done it without talking after a while just of knowing right. what to do and in in, uh -huh. in many situations where our gear tangled or we we're catching fish hand over fist or whatever and what each of us needed to do we really had kind of a fine well-oiled machine going in our role uh -huh. and just had to do uh, for most part you know i mean as I got older and I worked on some other boats uh, or another boat and got some insights from other fishermen too, that we just didn't have access to before uh, and learned some new things that, you know, we had some uh, creative differences on gear and trolling speeds and, and a few things. There were a few times uh, had a few conversations or doubts about, you know, one another's gear choices, you know, cause we'd run the, each of us would run our own side for the most part when we were both fishing the boat, you know, different oh, if one of oh, yeah, yeah. Us solo, but yeah. Well, that must have been fun, kind of a little competition every day. Yeah, we did. You know, it wasn't just too uh, brutal, but uh, it definitely was there, you know, and, uh, you know, we kind of wanted to out catch more fish on your side than the other. And, you know, within kind of our uh, overall, philosophy of running the gear and what we were using you know we would still kind of mix it up a little bit and uh, you know it's really weird though it's just some days you'd be running the same thing and we'd do it basically it was like a science experiment that you'd you know there would be no variables other than the variables of the current or the weather you know and so one side would just totally out catch the other side no matter what you threw down or if you kept it identically the same on both sides and some days and then the next day it'd do the opposite sometimes you know and mm -hmm. you're always wondering 
hand sense or you know i mean we were just trying to narrow it down and never there sometimes you just couldn't figure it out other times it was very balanced uh there were some days you just were going gosh the port side is caught one fish and the others caught 29 and what's going on and then it'd be the opposite the next day and then it'd be <laughs> even the next you know so you know probably current way the gears working and stuff but it is it, me knocking your head there trying to figure it out Right. It was, isn't that, I mean, that's just kind of fun about fishing is you, you really, you really don't know what's going to happen on that boat that day, you know, and uh, I've fished long enough that I've had a couple of those Ferris Bueller days where, you know, nothing could go wrong. And then I had plenty of the other days where uh, I was watching other people catch fish all day long, you know, and, uh, uh, it, you know, that's, that's what kind of makes, uh, make, makes it for a, a, a great after you know a, a great day uh, just not knowing exactly what you're going to be uh, you know uh, getting into so in in regards to the commercial dory boats are there many still running in oregon um not many that i'm aware of you know i'm not part of all that but you just don't see very many there's a few in pacific city and i think there's a few random guys that kind of go up and down the coast uh but i mean the you know, there used to be, gosh, I don't know, when we first started, you know, probably easier, a hundred dories that would frequent Newport, you know, and I mean, you'd hard wow, press really? to find one. Now, you know, when I visit down there, I'm looking and I'm not, you know, last time I was over there paddling my kayak, I stumbled upon one, you know, tied to the dock and looked yeah. like it had fished at some point, but it wasn't that day. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, over there, it's just a, not even a shell of what it used to be. Uh, and there were a lot of other yeah. small boats of other sizes, in addition to, you know, the troller fleet that's always been there. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll be so, what, I mean, what was a typical day like uh, for you when you when you uh, went out and uh, uh, were, were fishing? You, were, were you... Uh, you know, did you go through a routine each day or, or you, were you scoping out and, and looking for current or kelp or water, uh, you know, or uh, water conditions or anything like that? Uh, uh, tell us a little about that. Well, you know, if you if you'd kind of been out each day and I always kind of likened it that I had, like you, know, you kind of get this mental map of where fish were unless they just scattered overnight which did happen uh, mm -hmm. but if you had like a fish whether they're chinook or coho or both and maybe you're fishing uh oh let's say out at the rock pile which is a you know underwater bank uh 14 miles right. or so offshore and let's say you're fishing the north end of that and you're kind of tracking fish and so you know you when you headed out there you know you kind of look at the day's coordinates you you know you kind of get out there and you kind of watch where the troller fleet that had been out there all night you know where they started because maybe they uh wound up somewhere else when you had to go in the previous evening or something like that and so you know sometimes you'd stop a little short and get your gear in before you got there in case the fish started moving in you didn't want to overrun them and mm -hmm. you know there were times Sudden, it started trailing off, and during a day, and then you would hear that. Well, the water's warming up, and the fish are headed toward the beach, you know. And 
and uh, so you'd be moving in. So, you know, it was really, um, if you had consecutive days, you could track the fish pretty well, you know, unless sometimes you just get out there and they just scattered everywhere and, you know, you'd have to start from scratch all over, you know, and if it was after a blow or something like that, you know, depending on the weather, you'd, you know, if the weather is good enough, I usually in and out of Newport to head south, you know, off Seal Rocks, Beaver Creek. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a good place to start, you know, if the water was warm enough, or you go back out to the rock pile. So, you know, right. you, you and, then, and mixed in with that is just talking to people, networking with people on the dock. And right. you get some real points in the book of just doing that, you know, and that was gold, you know. And mm-hmm. other times you totally, you know, yeah. <laughs> you went totally overran the fish, and you know, so you know you're kind of beating your head against the wall. Like, gosh, I shouldn't have went out that far, or went the wrong yeah. direction, and you know, that's just fishing, you know. But you know, the routine of that was just really trying to stay in sync with day after day, and try to get out as many, you know, consecutive as many days you could to kind of be in the in sync with the whole program because it was easy to get out of it. Right, right. So, in in regards to that, um, you, you know, how many days a, a summer would you fish, Terry? You know, uh, it seems like I don't know, probably uh, anywhere. It just depended on the seasons. But early years when it was pretty wide open, you know, all summer uh, for all species, you know, forty something. And oh, wow. you know, there was the, the coho season lasted maybe 12 days, or yeah, and so, or then it was you know, it just varied on the season and what what the situation was. But you know, there's some years probably I don't know, 40 to 50 trips out, yeah. Now, was it all for salmon, or were you fishing bottom fish or anything else while you were out there? Those were just. Yeah, those were just incidental catches. They, back then, and it's just amazing what, you know, you go into a fish market now and you see what rockfish or lingcod, uh, you know, is per pound. And, you know, and we, we, you know, we catch those a lot, you know, and we, we'd sell uh-huh. them or you could buy them back. Sometimes it's better just to buy it back. That was a legal way to do it. And then, uh, you know, just have it for dinner. It was more profitable to do that. Then we only got like a quarter, a pound for rockfish. and maybe 35 cents and i went into the market yesterday just to go uh you know going grocery shopping and looking for some fish and you know fresh lingcod was 19 dollars a pound you know and i think they paid us 35 cents yeah so uh, so we never really targeted the other fish you know a few times when halibut season was open which was rare to catch one and actually have the season open but you know we've sold a few of those not too many but mostly we're releasing those but um yeah so yeah it was it was salmon uh for us anyway Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm very good so so you know being out there what, what was what was the most memorable day you had on the water with your dad um well, let's see. Um, there are a number of them, but you know, there was a time later uh, when we 
Toward the end of it, I think it was in 1990. No, what year was that? No, it was late 80s, I believe. And I had gone down to fish Florence. And uh, I was thinking more solo. Dad's job changed. And, you know, and he still made it down and fished some. And I, I went down and started fishing Florence, which is a good Chinook port uh, to fish. When, especially right. when like the coast was over or in a ratio fishery of some kind. And so uh, Florence is a good way. A few of the story guys would fish out of Florence. And, you know, it was kind of a late August thing. And we went south there off the sand dunes. And it was his first time out of there. And so it was all kind of new. It felt like 1977 all over the newness. And uh-huh. um, so, yeah, we went down south and caught 22 Chinooks. Uh, it was nice weather. It was kind of this cool fog, but not too bad fog, you know. With these, and they used to have these foreign trawlers off the coast there that we didn't really like too much. That we always, you know, I'm not sure if they were taking salmon too. They're supposed to get be taking hake or whiting, but uh, <laughs> anyway, but they was they were kind of like these steampunk vessels, you know, out there that was just kind of ominous, you know, further offshore. But it was just a cool vibe. And, you know, we got, I think we got 22 Chinooks that day and which is, I think the most we had when we were both on board and mm-hmm. uh, that we caught, and, you know, this is a good day. It was just, you know, it's a beautiful day, beautiful evening, you know, with a nice sunset. And it's just, uh, it was cool. Um, we caught more fish in other ways and made more money and all that, but that one stands out. I suppose, but there yeah. could be others I could bring up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what about the, the, the day with the most peril? Peril? Uh-huh. Um, well, yeah, we had a few, actually. We had one uh, that we, uh, it was a weekend, and there were a gazillion sport boats going out. It was just an absolute mill pond ocean you know you can run full throttle it just looked like a pond and we went out everywhere yeah we went out a little further out because it was you know coincided with a saturday and it was just everybody knew there were fish so it was commercial sport it was just like an la freeway we went out Uh a little further get out of that we put our gear down and i mean fish were climbing on us coho were climbing on us fast we could get the gear down i mean you were just He'd loading up, you know, four or six on a side. Uh, we couldn't even get our float gear, which is some other gear we put out. We couldn't even get it out in time. And so we were, we were you know, we were looking at a hundred fish day. I mean, easy at that rate, um, maybe more. And so boats everywhere. And then out of the blue, just it was like somebody turned a fan switch on high immediately. The wind just started screaming. I'd never seen anything like it. And I don't remember it being forecast. And we didn't have all the fancy online forecasting tools. You know, you just listen to the local radio station the night before for us anyway. And, you know, if we happen to listen to it. And uh, anyway, it caught everybody off guard. I mean, it was just like turning a fan on high. And suddenly it's blowing, I don't know, about 25 knots out of the south and white capping and it, it just was intense and then you had all these boats sport boats wrapping up trying to go in and we're trying to 
pull gear and then getting kind of tangled and it was great. We ended up going in and it, the day got progressively worse for everybody, but and most people came in, but uh, that was just bizarre. There were several days of some really big swells, uh, you know, coming in or kind of hairy or, or intense fog. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though you, later on we had a Loran, but it's still tricky to find, you know, it doesn't, it's not radar. So, you know, you're looking in. Uh, coming in in Florence was, I had some hair, you know, that place is a little different. Uh, the bar is pretty treacherous at times when you, mm-hmm. you know, get a four foot swell and certain other conditions. And so I had one foggy trip coming in on the bar with some fairly bigger swells and a lot of boats in a small area and some waves that kind of wanted to break uh, behind me. They would hiss and I wasn't able to really maneuver. That was kind of scary. Uh, so, you know, right. a lot a lot of foggy, windy days and those types of events uh, always seem to make it back. I tried to be respectful of the ocean, you know, even as a sure. daring 20-something-year-old, uh, trying to be respectful and know my limits. And more, more, most, most of the time, I think I, I uh, followed that rule and uh, you know, didn't put myself in a situation where I really shouldn't have been out there. But sometimes you did get yeah. caught. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm just curious, what, what lessons did you learn from back then that uh, stayed with you over the years? Oh, lesson. That's a good question. Um, Oh, most, you know, learned that my dad knew a few things more than what I knew, <laughs> you know, his, and he was, uh, you know, as you grow older, you go, yeah, he's a pretty wise guy, you know, or as a teenager, mm-hmm. and, you know, you question that. Uh, and so, you know, I uh, learned and just the respect, you know, respect for him too of, and I really have learned that, you know, even as in my age now, and I look back, especially in writing this, is wow, what a what a leap of faith and what a, a daring step he took to get this boat, and you know, and oh yeah, at the time, I'm financially it wasn't well that first year it was not financially viable. It's a miracle we got to keep the boat, probably, but uh, and uh, just the patience my mom had too with it, you know, of us going out and, you know, so I learned a lot about just respecting, you know, my parents and, you know, what kind of a bold leap of faith. And I, like I said, my mom of just kind of letting us do this, uh, you know, being out there, just uh, res- respecting the ocean and really having a love for the ocean, the sea. Uh, certainly ingrained in me with that, you know, and through that, the learning is just the problem solving you have to do, you know, there's not anybody usually that can come out and help you uh, do right. certain things other than the Coast Guard to tow you or save your life, I suppose. But, you know, there's just a lot of problem solving you have to do on the boat by yourself. You get in, especially fishing alone, you get into some of the most improbable situations and weird gear tangles and problems and you're just like i got all this gear down and i gotta fix this situation and you know i don't want to be out there in the dark 
stuck. So I got to fix it. So, yeah. you know, you learn a lot of problem solving and um, patience. Got to have an extreme amount of patience, uh, which I, sometimes was a challenge for me. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's just so much learning out there. You know, I applied it too, just uh, in a boat like that, you have to come up with systems of running your gear, storing your gear, how you do things. And I remember going into my first classroom when I was a first a classroom teacher and kind of ran it like a dory in a sense that I had to have systems of way I did things. But I relied on those different set of skills, but relied on the organization and having systems. I remember thinking this is kind of like fishing in a way. So uh, running a boat. Interesting. It, it, interesting. It, uh, it, 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 it sounds like, you know, one of the things that, that um, you came out of that with is, is just relying on, on your own abilities and, and, and a confidence in yourself, right? Yeah, you had to. Yeah. And, you know, it, after a while, I mean, I think about it now, you know, and, you know, once you become a parent, you start knowing you have more responsibility, not just for yourself, but other people and you're married and, you know, your responsibility circle grows. Right. Just, just uh, back then, just, you know, I don't know. It'd be weird going out again now under, you know, different knowing I'm responsible for more people in life. And, <laughs> uh, but just when I was, especially when I was single, it was just, I just went out and I just had confidence I'd come back and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, without being careless. So, right. Uh, yeah, you had to, you had to have the confidence. You didn't want to go out there and be too timid of it, but not too cocky either. Yeah, you know? so true, so true. So, so I'm curious, what prompted you to write the book? You know, we kept log, or I did mostly, and then Dad, when I was gone, I was kind of like, make sure you write in the log book. Uh, but I always kept, you know, a little paragraph or blurb after each. Uh, fishing day in a log book and I, I kept records back then. You know, there were no spreadsheets and things like that. I just hand wrote it all down in this booklet. And I did right. that every season. And I had weather conditions and, you know, where we fished and you know, something notable about the day and, you know, kept record, you know, the catch records and so forth. And so just got in the habit of doing that. It was kind of fun to go home at night, you know, when we were all done and then we stayed in this little trailer in Newport there and I write it all down. And so I, I have volumes of that here still, you know, never threw it away or anything. And, right, you know, I kind of talk like someday, you know, I don't know, it came up and casually, oh, I ought to write a book or something. Like that. Yeah, maybe, but never really thought too much of it. And, you know, it came up once in a while. Dad would say that. My wife brought it up a few times. And then mm, it was 2018, you know, I had the summer off, you know, with teaching and, you know, I've taught enough that I don't really need to go back for master's degrees and stuff like that. So I had more time. And mm-hmm. anyway, it was just one of the things I thought. I, I was reading a few books. Uh, uh, one, a kayak book by a guy named Chris Duff called Celtic Tides. He's done these amazing kayak adventures around. I think that one was Ireland. And he's up from Port, Port Angeles, Washington, I think. And anyway, I wrote started reading these kayak books that's kind of what i'm into and these mm-hmm. are extreme adventures but anyway uh so i was reading those and i thought 
that's really cool. And I actually contacted him. And I go, how did you start your book? What do you, where do you even begin with that? Because I got an idea about writing right. about my experience. You know, I said, just, well, for starters, just get it down and start writing like you're in your living room talking to somebody like maybe I'm talking to you and start, you know, you know, describing it all and writing about it. So I did. And I just started writing and that, that took me over four years. And then I had got to a point where I wrote the whole thing. I knew it wasn't ready and I explored self-publishing, talked to a few people about self-publishing. I knew it was going to turn out badly if I self-published. Some people are gifted like that and can do it. Maybe have a network of friends that can help them with editing and stuff. But I just didn't feel confident. I, I haven't never done it. That what I had was out there really book ready. And I'm glad I did not do that. So I had read a book uh, called Fishing with Hyenas, which is a book about a lady in Port Ant. No, in Friday Harbor up in Washington. Mm -hmm. And she went out with her husband. Uh, he was a tuna fisherman, a high seas tuna fisherman. They go out, you know, South Pacific, everywhere. And she went out and made a few trips with him to experience that when they got married. And then he actually passed away on the boat, not when she was on there, but, and she writes about that. Oh, it's a great book. Fishing with hyenas. So anyway, I got to a certain point in my book and I'm like who'd you go to get published with and how did you know what's the next steps because I I'm stuck and so she suggested uh this company that she did on her first edition called Dancing Moon Press uh based out of Newport which is now based out of Bend and she's in there we had some coincidentally some people she actually knew the former owner of our boat and a long story there but uh, oh, wow. And that was just a like, wow, this is all meant to be. And it's out of right. Newport, which turned out to be banned, which is another connection for us. And I just thought the stars are aligning on this. So anyway, they're a small publisher. We're uh, editing, publishing. And uh, so anyhow, her name's Kim Cooper and, and her husband, Todd. They were great to work with. And so I worked with them and they guided me through the rest. And, you know, I did a severe revision <laughs> and she, she taught me a lot, you know, as our work, yeah. it was all online. Actually, I've never met face to face yet, but really, okay. anyway, it was a great experience. It was all during the pandemic by that time. And so uh, it was all by email and a couple phone calls and really guided me through the editing process different stages of editing and all that so and long story short uh, through a lot of work we uh, got to the publishing point and this is on amazon you know four, four years later so, wow. so that's how it came to be you know and i i'm you know i shudder to think if i tried to self-publish it two years prior <laughs> it wouldn't have been very good uh, i'll be honest with that sure. but uh so she just taught me some ways to make it more engaging and things. So, yeah. Right. right. That's how it came to be. Short story, anyway. That's cool. Uh, that is cool. So what's what's the next project for you? You know, I don't know. Right now, it's just marketing the book. You know, it's on Amazon. So, it's, um, you know, and, you know, 
reason, understandably, small bookstores aren't real thrilled with Amazon. Uh, change the mm-hmm. industry tremendously. So change their role along, you know, a coast. And there's a lot of small bookstores. So I'm learning a lot about that. Uh, so it's just being able to do a lot of contact with them face to face. You know, getting out there because you can still sell your book uh, to them, and they can still sell the book and make it worth everybody's sure. while and get it out to more people that might be interested. So just kind of finding your niche of who might actually be interested in reading it. Um, uh-huh. I, I'm not a marketing person at all. I'm not a business person at all. I, uh, outside of garage sales, I don't think I've ever sold anything. You know, maybe I've <laughs> maybe a used car or something to somebody. But uh, so that's all new to me in this learning. And social media is such a big part of authorship anymore of how to get your uh, works out there. I'm learning that. I kind of learned a few new tricks that, uh, this week, you know, Facebook and discussion boards and kind of finding places that will allow you to express your book and, right. and you know, places don't want you to. Some are okay with that. So finding the ones, the niche, that finding the heart of your audience. And so I'm really working with that and kind of really want to, work more with independent bookstores you know i got an offer to do a book signing later uh whenever i want to but right later in spring or something like that so mm-hmm. you know it's just all about relationships with those people and uh getting that out there and but that's really the project right now is just to kind of see where i can take this book and uh kind of writing it out i tell my told my wife this is the 16th season for me in a sense i don't you know, want to dwell in the past, but it just kind of brings some closure. That's really what, you know, I found out through this. It's, you know, I lost my dad, um, 2016 and, um, I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, and our fishing kind of just stopped it. It hoped to carry it on a little further and just uh, the way they stated the industry mainly has kind Mm -hmm. of made sense that, end of it but you know it was kind of abrupt in a sense and so it's just been kind of fun the really cool thing about this is i've been able to touch base with a lot of people that we used to fish with and you know thank goodness for the internet that i've been able to track these people down and ask for permission to have include them in the book and and whatnot and either speak to them or you know converse with them on an email or whatever Right, it's been amazing, and Dad loved all the personalities and acquaintances we made. It's been really satisfying to be able to touch base with these people again, and I know he'd just be giddy that that Mm -hmm. happened and all this. So, uh, yeah, he would just be thrilled. And so, you know, it's a kind of a. full circle healing type thing for losing you know somebody you love um so that's been exciting I, i'd like to write a novel um uh-huh. so you know i talked to an author who was at a book signing where i dropped off a few books this weekend and picked her brain a little bit about her process and whatnot so i you know i kind of like to write again to be honest i things kind of daunting 
right now, but uh, I'd like to do, I really enjoy the process of it. It's just, I don't have another big experience. I, my kayaking, I just go out and paddle and look at scenery and that's about it. So uh, it's awesome for me, but I don't read Right, you're right. No, that's great, uh, but, man. Yeah, but uh, I, you know, I got a few ideas swimming in my head for a novel, but I don't know. Well, we'll see if that ever happens or not. But anyway, I'm just kind of writing out this. Well, well, we'll look forward to, to seeing that novel one of these days. That'll that'll be kind of a, a fun treat. But uh, so so Terry, um, you mentioned Amazon a couple times. People can get your 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 book at Amazon. Any other uh, places in the Northwest or or thereabouts where people can uh, you know maybe buy one off the shelf or something like that? Yeah, I've got uh, two sites. Actually, a third one coming up. Uh, Nye Beach mm -hmm. Bookstore in Newport. Oh, okay. Uh, currently has them in stock. Uh, England Marine Supply in uh -huh. Newport has a few titles, a few, a few copies there. And yeah. I think we'll have some at Bob's Beach Books in Lincoln City. And I might get some over there, a few of copies. Uh, I'm just kind of starting that relationship there, but by I'm hoping by before the before New Year's, so uh, that, that may happen. And so, th yeah, those are kind of the three places I've gone face to face here right now. And so I'm just still working on uh, finding some other local places to, to do that. And there'll be some other ways I hope I can get that out uh, further. Uh, but right now, that's kind of where Amazon, if you just you're not in the Newport area, then right now that would be your best bet. You know, if you have Amazon right. Prime, you can get it in two days. You know, it's print mm -hmm. on demand, so you don't have to wait 10 weeks for to come from right, right. some great place. So, yeah. Exactly. Well, Terry, I want to thank you very much for uh, spending your time with us uh, today. I know it, with the holidays, it's busy for a lot of people, and I'm sure it's busy for you. But uh, it's been nice to kind of slow down with you and, and uh, find out a little bit more about the experiences that you've had as, uh, is it a doryman? Is that what they call it? Right? Doryman, yeah. Yeah, yeah doryman. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, gosh, what a, what a great thing you know, to have in your past that you've been able to do that, uh, you know, helped you grow with you in your relationship with your dad and, and uh, you know, self-improvement and, and all these things that go along with, you know, kind of growing up. And, and uh, that was a, that was a neat playground for you, man. Yeah, really, you know, I, uh, it was just really good, you know, especially high school, just having that kind of a unique, uh, experience that most people don't have and just being able to do that um is just a special time yeah it's just best job i probably ever had i mean you, you <laughs> couldn't have beat that uh you know, all the perks of the wildlife and the ocean and people and sure just, it was so unique i mean yeah Ab absolutely well terry thank you so much i wish uh you and your family and Deanne and, and uh, uh, your daughters, uh, you know, just a wonderful holiday season and, and have a great 2023. Looking forward to catching up with you uh, sometime next year a little bit and, and uh, 
just seeing how things are going for you. And uh, let's let's make sure we keep in touch. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, and it's been a pleasure getting to know you and uh, your podcast too. And so now I have a podcast with uh, another one to listen to. So pretty cool. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. And forgive me for not mentioning that you do have your own podcast, and it's um, not about being. Uh, on the water, but it has to do with music, does it not? You and your daughter run it. And it's, and it's, what is it called again, Terry? Uh, it's called Tuning In, which there are about right. 200 tuning in. But it, if you type in uh, Tuning In and uh, either McKenzie or Terry, additionally, you probably get the right one. But uh, yeah, it's just in short, it's uh, something we came up with during the pandemic that we had talked about. And uh, we each give each other a musical assignment. Uh, um from our genre or from our era you know so uh -huh. she may give me jay-z and i might give her the doobie brothers and uh and then we go and do our research we listen we report back what we've learned and what we liked or disliked and all of that and then at the end we give another assignment and that's kind of the uh you know lead into the next one so we are going to record one uh probably next week a new one we awesome. used to do it more frequently but uh you know it's just uh you know she's got her career going and life and mm -hmm. sometimes it gets too but uh we're still doing it there uh, yeah, there you go but yeah that's been fun and i in the book i integrate music with uh uh that too so that's another interest that has always been with me oh that's great that's great terry thank you again man you take care Happy holidays, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Take care. You too. 